Ah, Baruch Hashem Yahweh, and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. A Shavuot of separation. I am so excited to spend this time in the Word preparing for Shavuot. We're going to jump right in, open up in the Brit Hadashah in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 5, a very familiar section of Scripture that you all should know, of course, Matthew 5 and 17. What am I going to be teaching about as we prepare to go into Shavuot this time of separation? I want to give us a big picture and talk about eschatology. Now, of course, the fulfillment of all things. And I'm not saying that I'm an expert. I've got all of this absolutely dialed in because we're talking about eschatology. And anyone who says, oh, it's going to be like this, then it's going to be like this, then this is going to be like this, they're lying to you. Because the Bible teaches us about future things. But in fact, in the Brit Hadashah, in the New Testament, the millennium is only mentioned one time in the book of Revelation. So to say that it's going to be like this, then this, and this, then we don't see all things. Yahuwah tells us through the Apostle Paul that we see through a glass dimly. It's a shadow of things. But I tell you one thing for sure and for certain. By reading his word, by being immersed in his word, by having the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit in our lives, and by being around other believers and iron sharpens iron, we are able to discern the times and the seasons in which we do live. We see a rapid advancement, like the prophet Daniel tells us, of technology and of traveling and of people and an influx of this new world that is fast encroaching upon us. But we also see a great division in the nations between nationalism and globalism. And when we read the scripture, Ultimately, we see the fall of the nations, the fall of the kingdoms, and out of the dust, when the smoke clears, Yahweh raises up his nation people, a kingdom of priests, which inception point, of course, was Shavuot, Exodus 19 through 24, the ratification of the Book of the Covenant. And we see that Yahuwah raises up a people that he is gathering and calling out from the nations and that they will rule and reign. Now, traditional Christian theology has the millennium somewhere up in the supernatural clouds. What I want to talk to you about today is a literal 1,000-year reign here on earth. What I want to talk to you about today is two tribulations because the tribulation as we know it, the great tribulation, all of this is based upon a man and this man's name was Yaakov, Jacob, who wrestled with the Malak, the angel of Yahuwah, and his name was changed to Israel. 
Jacob had a great tribulation. Yes, we know this is so. And when was Jacob's great tribulation? It was the at the end of an age. It was at the end of an epoch. It was at the end of a time of his life when a garment was brought to him and it was, is this your son's garment? And it was a time of great tribulation. But before that time, Jacob had a time of trouble. It was called Jacob's trouble, where he had spent some time purchasing how many wives? Two wives or the two houses of Israel, if you would. There was a greater wife, the one that he loved, and a least wife, the one who was unloved. A division right there between the greatest and the least, which is why we're going to begin today in Matthew 5, 17. That was his lesser trouble. It was the time when he had returned from Laban and he met Esau, and Esau came with a division of men, and Jacob's lesser trouble before his great tribulation was a division of his houses and dealing with Esau. Right now, I believe we are at a time in the nations where we will have to deal with Esau, which is Islam. We are going to have to deal with Esau in the land, Esau in the nations, because the globalists, the Luciferic realm, the politicians are using Esau to destabilize the world, to bring us to a point of chaos and mayhem that they believe with the technology that they will then out of the chaos bring in a new world order and they will live forever using this new tech and maybe even go off of earth to some other realm. Well, that's the whole globalist agenda. Of course, they believe in a globe, which, you know, many of you out there would strongly disagree with. But we don't need to go into that right now. So if we could draw a big picture, and I'm not one for timelines or lineal thought, but I will do it for you right now, is I believe you're going to see Jacob's trouble or the lesser tribulation. And this Jacob's trouble is a time of dealing with Esau. There is going to be a catastrophe on the earth. There is going to be a shift both economically and there's going to be a northern hemispheric and a southern hemispheric ju judgment. Many people will die, but there will be a righteous remnant that will be raised up and that will be taken in literally through resurrection and transfiguration into a thousand year ruling and reigning here on this earth. Where I believe that we will plunder much of the technology that Elon Musk and many of these are developing, the harp, and we will use it for Yahweh's glory. And in the meantime, those that did not come out of the world will be enslaved in the nations. 
They will be bound. They will go under the judgment of the nations with whips and chains and bondage and die a natural death. And if they refuse to come up to the feasts and celebrate the ways of Yahuwah, we will literally shut their water off using the technology that we now have plundered. Yahuwah is bringing his people out and it's going to be the rule and reign through the Melchizedek priesthood under the administration of Yahusha. But it's not some mystical things in the cloud. It is a literal 1,000 year reign here on earth. This is um, a belief system that was prevalent in the early, early assemblies. But by the second and third century, by the time the church, the Roman pontiffs get, got involved, they did not want a slave people to have an idea of a liberation and ruling and reigning on this earth. They wanted to take it off this earth and turn it into a mystical thing because they wanted to rule and reign over believers with tyranny. This is called a Shavuot of separation, this teaching. Excuse me, I'm having troubles getting this to fit my blooming ear today. But we're going to be talking about Jacob's trouble that will lead you into the 1,000-year millennial reign here on earth. Then, Satan will be loosed for a time. And what would that be? That will be like a time of terror that has never happened at the end of the millennium, the great tribulation, like when Jacob was handed the garment with Joseph's blood on it. And then after that great tribulation, you're ushered into the great throne judgment. All that to say this, we're going to be dealing today with resurrection, transfiguration, and change. Now, there's many past resurrections in the Tanakh, in the Bible. We've got the widow of Zarephath's son in 1 Kings 17.17. 17. We've got the Shumanite son in 2 Kings chapter 4 and um, verse 20. The, the Sadducees, though, they, they didn't believe in the resurrection yet. The Pharisees did believe in the resurrection. We had the man, of course, that was thrown into Elisha's tomb in 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 21. We have a resurrection there. We, of course, we have the widow of Nain's son in Luke chapter 7 verse 11. Of course, Jarius' daughter was raised up from the dead. All of these things happened in the past. And then, at the time of Yahusha and his time of crucifixion, we have those that were came out of the grave and testified to all. And then, of course, after three days and three nights, and you will never get three days and three, three nights from a Friday to a Sunday. Can we please count? Three days and three nights, of course, we have Yahusha's resurrection. So resurrection is a big part of our faith, but not the Sadducees. Not at all. There was a division between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. All of that in the past, but in the future, do we see resurrection? Your resurrection, my resurrection, resurrection of the saints. We have the martyrs in Revelation, Giliana chapter 6. We see a resurrection 
in our millennial text, our only millennial text in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. We have a transfiguration. I believe you're going to see a transfiguration of the remnant. Did Yahushua say that not all of you here will taste death? Was that a false promise? Not all of you will see death. Matthew 16 verse 28. And then we have in a Hebrews chapter 1 verse 12 a very telling phrase. As a vesture. Think about this. As a vesture, a garment, your skin is a garment. As a vesture, shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. The Greek word there is alasso. They shall be transfigured. They shall be changed. So we are going to see many things in our study today as we go through resurrection and transformation. There's the resurrection of the just. But there's the resurrection of the unjust. I believe the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust is after the millennium, after the 1,000 year literal reign here on earth at the great white throne judgment, Acts chapter 24 and the 15th verse. Let's delve in and turn to Matthew, Matichahu, chapter 5 and verse 17. While you do that, I'm going to make a little adjustment. What's that nursery rhyme where somebody's been sleeping in my bed? Somebody's been wearing my ear, Mike, some big-eared git. (laughs) Ah, I've never heard of this scripture before. Think not how many people have you beaten up with this scripture. Especially, right, you start to come into the feasts and Torah. Torah, Torah, Torah! Yeah, I'll give you some Torah right upside the head. Think not that I came to destroy the Torah or the prophets. This, of course, I love this. It's the messianic sheep verse used to beat the tar out of the sheep. Think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the Torah till all be fulfilled. And shall... Whoever, therefore, shall break one of the least of these commandments and teach men so, he shall be called least in the Malchut HaShamayim, in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the Malchut HaShamayim, the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except that your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, that what? Ye shall no case enter the kingdom of heaven. So we've got how many rankings here? How many rankings? We've got three rankings. We've got number one, a least in the kingdom. Number two, we've got great in the kingdom. And number three, we've got 
get outside of the kingdom. <laughs> right? Three rankings. What is the kingdom of heaven? In the Hebrew, Malchut HaShamayim. And where is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of heaven? And where is the kingdom of heaven? And only in Revelation, Giliana, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, do we find any, and I mean any, New Testament teaching about the millennium. That's it. So for me to stand up here and say, hey, I have the answer to the whole eschatology, the future for us would be disingenuous. So I'm laying it all out there. But I do believe that I'm in the company of saints. I believe that Yahweh has called us out. He has given us great understanding through his word and that there is a sanctification process that Shavuot is all about. And the inception point of Shavuot is the book of the covenant Malkitzedic reality. And it is unto those people that a special blessing will be bestowed. They who have the testimony of Yahusha, they know the name and they keep the mitzvot, the commandments. We see that in the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation 21 through 10, of course, this is our sole text in the Brit Hadashah of where we find millennium. And of course, millennium, that isn't an English word, it's really from the Latin. It's from the Latin mille, which means thousand, and annus, meaning year. Okay, millennium, a thousand year period, okay? So, does this millennium text, I'll just ask you a question. Does this millennium text hint at two tribulation periods? Well, I've always already kind of spoiled that for you because I've kind of shown you that I believe that it does, right? Because Jacob had two troubles. Let me read the text for you. His first trouble, messengers returned to Yaakov, to Jacob, saying, we came to thy brother Esau and also he's coming to get you. He's coming out of the east and he is migrating west and he's coming to get you. And if you don't pay attention to the fishers, I will send the hunters, Yahweh says through the prophet Jeremiah. And you know what? Fishing is easy. It's the greasy grace. It's the easy message. Yeah, we'll go, oh, the grace, the grace. But you know what? If you don't listen to the easy message and start to come out of her, my people. If you're his, and you're stubborn and stiff-necked, he will send Islam to hunt you out. And guess what? They will come with hooks, and they will put hooks in your nose, and hooks in your lips, and they will drag you to Babylon. Mystery Babylon. There is nothing new in the, under the sun. So now's the time to come out, because if you can't see the influx of the Islamification of America, Australia is insane. The Islamification in Australia. Who would have thought of it, right? I mean, Australia, they're getting hammered big time down there. If you're an Australian nationalist, good grief. They'll kick you out to New Zealand. 
my home country, oh how it's changed. So this isn't just limited to the USA, Canada, Australia, what was that? What was that? You giving me gang signals? All right. Flipping gang signals here, Torah to the tribes. As long as they're Kadosh. Was it Canadian gang single sing well whatever. Yes. Sorry, we have a Canadian in the house. All right. Where was I? Somewhere fun. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. There's two houses of Israel, Ephraim and Judah. They are being called out of the nations. Yahuwah is dividing us into two bands. But they, we are one flock, one house. It's the 12 tribes of Israel coming together. Amen. Ephraim, 10 tribes, and of course, Judah and Benjamin, two tribes. We have the two houses of Israel. And then we see later Jacob. So this is Jacob's trouble, right? When he meets Esau, the division of the houses. The recognition that you are of the house of Israel is an awakening that happens in the saints' lives before Jacob's trouble happens. Ten years ago, many of you thought that you were... I don't know what you thought you were. What did you think? Evangelical or whatever. But once you started to awaken to Chai Israel, that you're Israel, Ephraim scattered in the nations, Judah scattered in the nations. I'm not talking the counterfeit in the state of Israel, Ashkenazi. No, I'm talking the true Shemites. We've done a teaching on that. Coming out of the nations. That is an awakening that happens and proceeds Jacob's trouble. We're right there. But then we're going to be ushered into this ruling and reigning for a thousand years. And then there's going to be the great tribulation. Jacob's great tribulation was the supposed slaying of his beloved son. And they sent a coat. It was a coat of many colors. And they brought it to their father and they said, This have we found. Know whether it be thy son's coat or no. This was Jacob's great tribulation. So we can see there are two tribulations when it comes to Yaakov, Israel, Jacob. Remember then, in between these two periods of time, Yes, there's ruling and reigning. But first, Jacob had to work for seven years for his first bride. And was his first bride least in Jacob's kingdom? Yes, yes she was. And then he worked for a, another seven years for another bride. And was that bride a treasure, a special people, and greatest in Jacob's kingdom? So there's a division, Matthew 5, 17, between greatest and least in the kingdom. Are they both the bride? But one's garments are not worthy of the husband and is least in Jacob's kingdom, if you will, and another is the beloved who holds the testimony of Yahushua and keeps the commandments and is greatest in the kingdom. So I'm mixing it up here, but I think some of you are tracking, and if not, speak to your neighbor. 
Okay? So, the millennium though, the millennium is this enigmatic, mystifying period preceding judgment and the eternal state. This is a period, think about it. This is a period of vindication within history in the cause of Yahusha. Because right now we live in a period of manufactured history. You have to understand that. The globalists, the New World Order, they manufacture history. They're telling you things that are fabricated. Whether it be about the earth that we live on, whether it be about the water that you drink, the vaccinations they're trying to push, the medicine they're trying to push, the education or de-education, re-education programs. They're manufacturing history. It's not true. We live in a post-allied world. So the victors write the history and anything that questions that history will turn on you with the culture of shut up. We'll call you a name, right? Racist, Nazi, this. Anything to try and get you to shut up from actually doing your due diligence and bringing up historical fact rather than historical fabrication. So when it comes to this millennial period, it is the vindication within history of the cause of Yahusha that he died and rose again in history to redeem a specific purpose, purpose and people. That's what history is all about. The culmination of Yahusha's cause and work. That's truth. You won't get that in a history book in secular school or college. But that is true history. Two tribulation periods, Jacob's trouble and the great tribulation with a millennium, millennium in between the two. And with these two tribulation periods, there is now two categories, listen, of the resurrection of the dead. Two categories of the resurrection of the dead. The first resurrection is the resurrection of believers who did not worship the beast or receive its mark. The Revelation 20 verse 4 and 5 paradigm who gain entrance into the millennium. Now some limit the millennium to the martyrs alone of Revelation 6. I disagree with this limited view, though I recognize, however, the connection in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, where Yahushua said what? Whoever loses his life becomes a martyr, for my sake will gain it. You'll find it in the millennium. Because we're going to be using some amazing tech and there is actually going to be some transfiguration and Yahushua is able to raise up his people and bring them into glory. 
but I don't want to limit it to just that. Let's read, I've spoken a lot about it, let's read Revelation chapter 20 together. Revelation, now listen, pay attention to what the text says. Revelation will start off in chapter 20 in the fourth verse. While you're turning there, I'm going to have some Mexican water. They say don't drink the water in Mexico, but this stuff is pretty good, isn't it? Oh, we can? Okay. That's racist. <laughs> and I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yahushua and for the word of Yahuwah, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Moshiach a thousand years. But the rest of the dead were still dead, weren't they? But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. Can you see a separation in resurrection? It's right there. How many times you read this? A separation in resurrection. And what separates the resurrection? The millennium. A distinction between Jacob's trouble and the great tribulation. Is Yahushua ruling and reigning now? He is in me. If you have been circumcised of heart, the old man is dead. And I am raised up now, and he is ruling and reigning in my life. He is ruling and reigning. And when the multitude of saints come together in the millennium, is Yahushua going to be ruling and reigning with us? For sure and for certain, that's called Brit Milah Halev, the circumcision of the heart of the new believer. So, we will discover, I hope today, I hope you're tracking with me, because I understand where I'm going, but you have no idea. But are, we, are, you, are you comprehending? Are we okay? Because sometimes I talk ahead and people are like, what? And I got a Mario telling me to slow it down. Okay, I hope that we will discover this afternoon a whole new picture, a whole new, yes, a whole new picture of how things are played out in the end times. You are on tenterhooks, aren't you? I can tell, I love it, I love looking at this guy, he's like a little kid, he's like, I love it, you inspire me. We, I believe, are going to see how things are played out in the end times. The first resurrection is what? Selective. The first resurrection is selective. It's the priesthood. It's the woman of Revelation 12 who is given a place to go into the wilderness. It's the transfigured and the martyrs. The first resurrection is selective. 
the second resurrection being absolutely universal. Everybody's going to be raised, even the wicked. Everyone, it is totally universal. You're all being raised. Now, within that universal group, there is the just and the unjust. But it's universal in scope. That is at the great white throne judgments. Two resurrections. The first resurrection, right as we go into the millennium, it is selective, selective to its very core. It is a unique people. It is a priesthood. It is the woman. It is the martyrs. It is resurrection and transfigurations. Bodies will be changed. They will be changed. And it could be because we plunder the tech from Elon Musk and the globalists and we use it. You know, take all that stuff from Star Trek and use it for good and for glory. Because I don't plan on walking and getting a ship to the promised land. Okay, I'm just telling you. You can beam me up, Scotty. All right. But then we have death. We have the first death is virtually universal, right? Most people, whether you're wicked or good, have died. So the first death, we're juxtaposing it now, resurrection, right? We had the resurrection. The first resurrection is what? The first resurrection, thank you, selective. The second resurrection is universal. Now, let's talk about death. The first death is virtually flipped, virtually universal. Most people are going to die. Whether you're a born-again believer, grandma, right? Granddad, hopefully, dead. It's universal in scope. But, but, some will be alive at the parousia. In the Greek, the coming, the coming, the second coming. But the second, the second death is what? Very selective. Who's going to die the second death? Only the unjust. So the first death is universal in scope. The second death is selective in scope. Does that make sense? So we're just kind of building this platform. Now... If we look at the resurrection being what? The first resurrection being selective. Selective of who? Selective, selective of who? The two witnesses. The two witnesses, selective, right? Raised up, very select. Who are the two witnesses? When the, of the called out assemblies, the two witnesses are Smyrna and Philadelphia, aren't they? They're the two witnesses, right? The assemblies of Smyrna and the assemblies of Philadelphia. What is their testimony? What is your testimony? What is the testimony of you that follow Torah to the tribes? We know Yahushua. We know the Father's name, we keep his commandments, and we are very aware as the two witnesses, whether it's Philadelphia or Smyrna, of the synagogue of S.A. Tan. 
We're very aware of what they're up to. We are very aware and many have been persecuted by the synagogue of Satan. The similitude in testimony between those two assemblies, those two witnesses, is that they held the testimony of Yahushua, they kept his commandments, and they were aware, both of them, whether it's Philadelphia or Smyrna, of what the synagogue of Satan are up to. Two witnesses. The woman... Is she a witness that fled into the wilderness and how many crowns upon her head? Twelve representing the twelve tribes of Israel. The 144,000 are the remnant that go into the millennium. Now, the 144,000, is it going to be 144,000? Or is it possible, just like we see in the scripture, I don't know this, but we see the Septuagint, Sept, 70, and they say, how many rabbis translated the Septuagint? 70 in excess. How many of the children of Israel went down into Egypt? Well, depending on whether you're looking at the Septuagint or the Masoretic text, but again, it's the familiar term, 70 in excess, okay? 70, 72, 75, it's called a phrase in, in biblical theology, 70 in excess, right? 144,000, how many years since Yahushua raised from the dead? 2,000, 70 righteous in excess in each generation, 70 in excess in each generation times 2,000, 144,000. So it does not ever say in the Bible that your 144,000 are going to be coming from the last day remnant. It's possible. There could be 144,000. Or there could literally just be 70 in excess in every generation since the resurrection of Yahushua, where your 144,000 are raised up to go into the millennium. Be that as it may, it's an interesting thought to ponder. 70 in excess, right? Anyway, went off a little bit on a sidetrack there, but look at the two witness coming out of the nations. Whether these are two witnesses, Ephraim and Judah, all 12 tribes, the woman with the stars, 12 tribes upon her head, or we have the witnesses of the assemblies, a grouping of people, but they are Smyrna and Philadelphia, and the similitude between them, testimony of Yahushua, keep his commandments, they've identified the synagogue of Satan. They're not playing around with the Zionists. They're not playing around with the Ashkenazi, the globalists and the New World Order, and they're calling it, and they are hated because of it. They're not going with the party line. We are literally hated because we've identified the synagogue of Satan. Oh, you don't want to, you don't want to listen to Torah or Torah, or they don't like the Jews. No, we love the Jews. We're just saying... The Jews are, are the sons of Shem, right? They're Shemites. Can we be real? You're saying, you're lying, you're fabricating history, and you're saying Ashkenazi, the sons of Goma, are Jews. But they're not. They're not sons of Shem. So it's fabricated history that everybody goes with, and then when you bring in historical fact, you're hated because it goes against the synagogue of Satan propaganda machine. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. 
When you show me that Ashkenazi is a son of Shem, I will repent. But until that day, Yahweh's word is truth and every man is a liar. The Ashkenazi are not Shemites. They are not the true Jews. It's a fabrication. That's why we are bringing forth the truth of the regal Negro house of Judah in exile that are waking up to their identity. Instead of black Baptists, we're having the house of Judah coming out from the nations, which of course Islam hates because they're the biggest slavers out there that have done more decimation to the black community in America in the past 30 years than any religion. Do you know more black American men have been misguided and taken out of the Baptist Christian movement into Islam? Then it's, it's, it's dreadful. But if they knew who they truly were, they would be able to refute Islam and its falsehood and return to their regal stature as the house of Judah. But many are waking up. But to say that in this culture of shut up, is just not politically acceptable. Especially coming from an Anglo-Saxon like myself, right? So anyway, sons of Isaac, right? But the sons of Isaac are interested in the whole house of Israel regardless of what colour your coat is. Hallelujah! Right? Does it matter? No. It's a garment. As long as you're the house of Israel, we better be multicolored, if you ask me, right? Why an Anglo-Saxon has to say that, I have no idea. We should all be saying that. Good night, Josephine. All right, let's continue on. So, is it possible that the first, the first resurrection will be the two witnesses and the woman of Revelation 12? The Malkitzedic priesthood plus the martyrs of Revelation 6 that we see in Revelation chapter 20 verse 4. We've got Smyrna. The persecuted assembly who identified the synagogue of Satan. We've got Philadelphia, another witness. The persecuted assembly that identified the synagogue of Satan. The similitude is the synagogue of Satan is being called out, that they have the testimony of Yahusha, they know the Father's name, Yahuwah, and that they're keeping the commandments. We've got tri 12 tribes, the woman that flees in to the millennium. We've got the two witnesses, which are two olive trees, which are two menorim, two menorahs, right? This is an amazing time. Of course, there is going to be a time where the woman flees into the wilderness for how long? Three and a half years based upon a 30 day month calendar of a 360 day year calendar. That's why we keep the calendar that we keep because we're preparing for the days ahead. It's very easy for people to get sidetracked on the calendar but the, the truth of the matter is if you do a lunar solar calendar it's not in the Bible you will always have to add a 13th month somewhere along the line. It's not true. The book of Jubilees 
is anti-Torah. It contradicts the Torah. Why on earth would you try and get your doctrine from something that contradicts the inspired word of Yahuwah? You cannot do that and many are falling for that folly and let it be what it will be. But we must continue on with the prophecies at hand. A 30-day month times what? 30 days times 12, a 360 day, of course, we get the calculations in perfect harmony. What was then, back in the days of Noah, shall be again. And in the meantime, that is how we shall live. In preparation. It's a very simple way of life. It's a way of life that a child can understand. And the problem with all of these calendarations out there, children can't understand it because it's manufactured by men who want to be Nicolaitans and you be the serfs. That's the truth of it. It's a very sad day. Very sad day when people fall for that stuff. So the woman, she will flee into the wilderness for how long? 1260 days divided by 360 divide that by 30 and there you go three and a half years she is going to be in the wilderness in preparation because there is going to be a three and a half year time of Jacob's trouble before we get to the millennium it's going to be rough for three and a half years because we've got this whole system's got to implode and deconstruct before it can be rebuilt by the children of Yahuwah, by the Holy Spirit. So watch it, it's all going to burn. But we're going to be able to plunder and walk through the fire. But it's going to be a period. You're going to have to go into the wilderness. It's the greater exodus, if you will. I mean, I don't have all the answers. I'm not saying I have all the answers, heaven forbid. But this is secreted away for us in the scripture for us to discover. Because the Ruach HaKodesh is in us. And we see the signs in the nations. We will rule and reign for a thousand years. After the thousand years, Satan will be loosed in the great, great tribulation and then the great white throne judgment where the second resurrection will take place. So let's look at the Malchut, the kingdom of heaven, the Malchut HaShamayim. We've got 10 points I want you to think about because this is the kingdom of heaven I'm talking about. The kingdom of heaven. Number one, Yahuwah has to build a house for his kingdom. Second Chronicles chapter 2, verse 12. Who is that house? Right here. Ephraim and Judah, the two witnesses. Number two, ten points on the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be composed of power, strength, glory meaning there'll be no middle course, no concession, no compromise, no shame. Only radical remnant believers are going to be in the kingdom. Daniel chapter 2, verse 37. So when people say to you, oh, you, you just, you're just too radical. You just, you're just taking this so literally. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. 
and you're literally going to burn in the nations unless you come out of her, my people. Because you're living in fabricated history. And the true history says this is going to happen because it's the Yahusha of all things is history in its full embodiment. Number three, it's an everlasting kingdom. And all, and all means all, all dominions shall serve and obey him. Daniel chapter 7, 27, meaning there's going to be no dominions outside of the kingdom ruling by themselves. No, they will all be in submission to Yahuwah. Number four, the kingdom, it's at hand. It's at hand, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, meaning it's within your grasp. It's, it's within your grasp. You can affect the kingdom. It's not something like, oh, the millennial kingdom is so mystical, we're going to be caught away in a rapture and we're just going to flow. No, it's at hand. It's not some mystical thing like a cloud. You, it, it's within your grasp. You can do it because he's empowered you by the Holy Spirit to obtain it. Yet, if you take hold of it, and then you look back, you are not worthy of it. So if you get called, and this calling's on your life, and then you decide to go back to whoring around, you decide to go back to boozing and, and all that other stuff you were doing, then you're not worthy of it. So it's a serious calling. Or you go, oh yeah, but it was too hard, I'm going to go back to my family. I'm, no. No, you bring your family with you, and if they don't, then I'm sorry. Who do you love? Oh, well, you know, it's just, you know, we've got this to do on the Shabbat. And, well, you were coming along, and now you've drawn back. Well, you weren't worthy of it. It's a serious calling. It's a serious charge. Number five, whatever teaching, listen to this, whatever teaching and instructions Abraham, Isaac and Jacob were following and whatever blood ratified covenant that they were covered in granted them access into this kingdom. Matthew chapter 8 verse 11. So it's got nothing to do with a Levitical hierarchy. Because Abraham never knew that. Neither did Isaac. And neither did Jacob. Number six, a Levitical high priest of the righteousness of John the Immerser. He was the legitimate Levitical high priest, but he could not be up in the temple because it was an abomination. Caiaphas was not supposed to be the high priest. He was disqualified in so many areas. The Herodians had put him in. But John the Immerser, he was the legitimate Levitical high priest and he was sanctifying himself out in the wilderness. And what did Yahushua say about him and his priestly status in reference to the king? Kingdom, excuse me. A Levitical high priest. Think about this. Of the righteousness of John the Immerser is only this is a mind bomb. He is only able to attain the rank 
below those of least within this kingdom. That's a lot to, lot to ponder. I'll repeat it for you. A Levitical high priest of the righteousness of John the Immerser, John the Baptist, was only able to obtain the rank below those of least within this kingdom. Thus, a priestly qualifier greater than Levi bears the greatest weight and measure. It's the priestly qualifier that bears the most weight and measure. Because even someone of the righteousness of John the Baptist, who was not in the Melchizedek priesthood, was least and below the least. Because least of, least of Melchizedek is greater than the greatest of Levi. And the greatest of the Levitical priesthood would be the Levitical high priest. But he was even lower than the least of the Melchizedek. That is a lot to comprehend. But it's all about Yahusha and his priestly transference that gives you the status under him in the kingdom of heaven. So when people say, oh, well, you know, I think Torah to the tribes. I think they've just gone off on the, uh, on the Melchizedek too much. I think they just need to scale it back, you know. It's just too much. Uh, yeah, it's quite a lot, isn't it? It's everything. Read your Bible. Because last time I checked, I'm not doing as good as John the Immerser. But somehow, because of what Yahushua's done, and the priesthood that I am in because of him, all glory to him, it qualifies me, even though I may stumble and fall and bumble around, be greater than John the Baptist. Because of Yahushua. Because of what he's done and obtained. So why wouldn't you want to walk in that? And flounder around out here with Torah and the synagogue of Satan. Poncing around trying to pretend you're righteous and you figured it all out. When you should be under the covering of Yahusha and get a status elevation. I mean it, it, it just, it's, it, it's so important. Number seven, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. It comes with violence. It comes with force. And it comes upon violence and force upon the souls of men, Matthew eleven twelve. It comes suddenly. It will come secretly, powerfully, and effectually. When everybody else is getting up, going to work, and looking at the stock market, and expecting everything to be today as it was yesterday, that's when it's going to come. When you're all cozy and tucked up in bed, and you think, you know, oh, I'm so looking forward to retirement. Oh, my stocks and bonds should be in. And oh, I finally attained the bank account balance that I'm looking for, well, that's when it's going to come. And everything that you have will come to nothing. So better to be looking for the kingdom now than for it to suddenly come upon you when you've been building your own kingdom. 
and they'll be building houses and da 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 da. It's a bunch of folly. It really is. The more you live, the longer you live, the more it just seems so shallow existence to me. It truly does. When you could be what? Seeking the kingdom. This violence denotes a strength and vigor, an earnestness of desire and endeavor. A fervency and a zeal is required for all of us. A fervency and a zeal is required for us who design to make heaven our faith daily. We would enter into the kingdom of heaven, but we must strive to enter into it. We have to strive to enter into it. That kingdom will suffer a holy violence. There is no halfway measure. We take no prisoners. Number eight, the kingdom, it involves mysteries. It involves a priesthood. It's hidden form in a measure, but it will grow and it will grow and it will grow. Matthew 11, Matthew 13. It's apprehending the mystery of the Malkitzedic. That is like a measure that's hidden and it grows and it grows and it grows until it leavens your whole faith, doesn't it? And you're like, it's everywhere. So yes, Malkitzedic is everywhere because it grows and grows and grows. It's the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be converted. Matthew 18 verse 3. And this kingdom of heaven, it's got keys. Which means what? Matthew 16, 19. Meaning it's got blooming locks. Which means there's going to be some stinking people outside that don't get to come into it. Oh, that's so unpopular, isn't it? God so loved the world. Uh, no, he was looking to purchase the treasure in the field. Sometimes you've got to purchase the world, not because you love the world so much that you want the world. You love the world, which is the field, because you're going to bring a tractor in and you're going to clear it of all the thorn brushes and thistles and all the tears. You're going to what? Clear them up and throw them into a pile and burn them. And then all you're going to see is standing wheat in wind, willowing in the wind that gets heavy with that grain of wheat and it bows down humbly before the master and points the way to the treasure which is Israel that's buried in the field. John 3.16, why did Yahushua love the world so much? Because he was looking for the field? No, because he knew that the treasure was buried within the world and that he's going to bring the sickle harvest to clear it and find the treasure. That one totally going off on a tangent, sorry. But then think about it. The parable is, what is the world? Well, the world is a field. And within the field is buried treasure. And the treasure is Israel, buried in the field. But for him to get to that treasure, he's got to clear the tears away. He's going to burn them. And that's where we're at. That's Jacob's trouble, the burning of the tares, Islam, and all of those that follow after the New World Order burn so that he can find his treasure and usher them into the millennium. His treasure is Israel. 
We're living in that time. We're living in that days. So number nine, the kingdom, it's got keys, meaning it's got locks, meaning there's an outside and meaning there's an inside. And finally, number 10, the kingdom of heaven, the rich have to be more diligent and cautious not to lose it and to apprehend it. The rich have to be more diligent and cautious not to lose it and not to let it go. The kingdom of heaven will be on earth. What do we always pray? As on in heaven as on earth, right? On earth as it is in heaven. On earth. It's coming to earth as it is in heaven. It's the millennium and it's going to be administered where? Washington, D.C. No, it's not. Flying <laughs> out loud. That's where Lucifer is administering his kingdom, right? Which is why you're seeing all this. It's going to be administered from the Mount of Olives, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10, where they, who are part of the Luciferic system and all of that synagogue of Satan, they'll be up on the Temple Mount, which isn't the Temple Mount, it's the Anatonia Fortress, sacrificing to goat demons, and they will not be worthy to eat of that which is going on outside of the gates. The administration under Yahushua, of course, the kingdom of heaven will be on earth. It's the millennium, and it's going to be administered from the Mount of Olives by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and the Malkitzedic priesthood, Hebrews 13.10. I'm talking about a post-millennial return of Messiah that the Messiah Yahushua returns after the millennium. He's already reigning with us. Understand this. I'll pause for my Mexican water. Think about this, because this is a big one. Sometimes it's a big one to blow, blow over those big misconceptions that we've grown up with in the faith. Understand the pre-millennium return of Messiah doctrine or that whole concept, it comes from the synagogue of Satan. It comes from the misreading of the book of Ezekiel and having a prince rule and reign here in place of Yahushua. That is anathema to the faith. So how do they deal with that? Well, they say, well, no, Yahushua is the prince. No, he's not. He's the king. So that's problematic, is to, is to demote Yahushua and make him the prince that you see in Ezekiel. That's the only way they get it. It doesn't make sense. That bears the same problem. It's a misreading of the book of Ezekiel. Of course, it's the synagogue of Satan. If you want to find out more, we've done a teaching Ezekiel and the revelation of the 13 scrolls that lays out that clearly. So there's going to be a literal 1,000 year rule and reign here on earth of the Malkitzedic priesthood from Mount Ol the Mount of Olives, Hebrews 13.10, where those outside the kingdom will not come up to the feasts, will they? They will not pay homage to Yahuwah. 
and they will not in turn get rain and they will be smitten with plagues. Because guess what? There's going to be some wicked, wicked plagues going around. People shedding measles on aeroplanes because of all the vaccinations, right? Shedding the virus. There's going to be wicked plagues. And guess what? Those in the kingdom, brush it right off. Thank you. But those outside of the kingdom, no rain, smitten with plague, Zechariah 14, 18. So, so we're going to get hold of some super serious technology, the Malkitetic priesthood. We will control the weather. We'll take it out of their hands. Right now they're trying to use it against <coughs> us. But we will plunder, just like they did, did in the days of Mitzrayim, Egypt. They will literally be giving us stuff to just get us away. Or just go, go, get out, get out of here. With all your crazy doctrines. Get out of here. Oh, you unvaccinated people. Get out, get away from us. We're scared of you. Why would you be scared of us? You're the ones with vaccinations. Surely you're the ones that are totally bombproof, right? What's up? You're insane. Oh, oh I'm vaccinated, you're not. Well, you're protected then, right? Surely I should be scared. I'm not. It, it, it makes no sense, right? Then stack up 100 people that are vaccinated and 100 people aren't, and which ones are sick all the time? How often do you go to the doctor, let me open your medicine cabinet and see what drugs you're on? I mean, the evidence, I mean, it's right there. It's, it's, in, it's absolutely insane to me. This is just like, wow. So anyway... Be that as it may, we're going to get hold of some serious technology and we will control the weather and we will plunder Elon Musk, Harp and the Rockefeller's kingdom and we will redistribute some of that Illuminati wealth. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven here. I'm not talking about eternity. I'm talking about the kingdom on earth. Eternity is after that. So counting the Omer prepares us to move on to the first fruits faith salvation into the kingdom of heaven salvation. Because first fruits, we're subsiding off of barley, which is animal food. And now at Shavuot, we should start to mature in our faith and subside off wheat, human food. We've got to move from that carnal nature into the spiritual man. Listen, times are going to get tough. There's no doubt about it. Times are going to get really hard here shortly. And many, I'm sad to say this, but many of our brothers and sisters in the church that are saved but don't have faith combined with works, they're not going to make it because they're going to get deceived by the beast system. They've fallen for a shadow of the Messiah instead of the reality of Yahusha. They've fallen for a shadow of Messiah instead of the reality of Yahusha. And the shadow doesn't match up to the Malkitzedic high priest. And the high priest calling is a calling that they wouldn't follow because they're weak and beggarly in the faith. They have faith, but it's very small. 
and it's not backed up by works. And the kingdom is all about faith in the pursuit of works. Those who have the testimony of Yahushua and keep his mitzvot. We know that many faithful martyrs will be miraculously present with us in the millennium. Revelation 6 and Revelation 20. Then we have the remnant bride, the Malkitzedic priesthood, who bear his name, who keep his testimony, who keep his commandments, and will be transported, transported to live out the millennium here on earth, ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. You do realize that some of you aren't going to die. That's amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. The remnant of true believers, strong and united, resembling Yahushua and designed under him to rule the nations with a rod of iron, to judge the world by our doctrine and lives now. Revelation 12 verse 4. Because as the priesthood, you and I are the bone. Think about it. Etzem, the bone. Chava, Eve. You've got the majority of the body that have small faith and no works. But the priesthood is the bone that is taken out of the body and turned into the remnant bride. Are you with me? So many of you go, well, you know, I I had some Christian friends and I, I loved them. Yes, but the majority is the body that is asleep. Asleep. Small faith. No works, asleep. But the bone is taken out of the body and turned into the remnant bride. That's what qualifies you as the bride. You see? You get the picture? The remnant bone is the one new man that Peter talks about. Coming into the priesthood, the priesthood, those that are converted and follow Yahushua, keep his commandments contained in covenant, the book of the covenant that qualifies you to be the Malkitzedic priesthood and kingdom. I mean, it's it's an oxymoron to be a lawless priest, right? I mean, you can't be a priest and be lawless. But you can't be a Malkitzedic priest and be chasing after the synagogue of Satan and the Levitical hierarchy. That disqualifies you too. So the church has taught the faith alone gospel. Faith alone, faith alone, faith alone for far, far too long. And it's about, and I'm, 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 I'm sorry to say this, and it's about to pay a very heavy price for it. A very heavy price for it. Not an eternal price necessarily, but a price that I think is still too heavy. And what is that price? Sitting out the kingdom of heaven here on earth in the grave. 
sitting it out for a thousand years or worse, possibly, not worse, worse, at least in the nations being whipped and put in chains by Mystery Babylon who will refuse to come up to the feasts. Because Yahushua talks about that. He talks about that. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and thou not of yourselves. It is a gift of Yahuwah, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if they had the faith to accept Yahushua, but then were stifled by worldly compromised religion, they will be benched in the dust for the millennium. Because you don't get into the millennium by faith alone. It's faith that then produces mitzvot, works that qualifies you for the priesthood. If they had the faith to accept Yahushua, but then were stifled by a Torah, a Torah works-based book of the law, which so many in the Messianic movement have been benched by, they'll be in the dust for the millennium. Or in the nations, in chains, with dead works. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he has shed on us abundantly through Yahushua Messiah, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So salvation from hell and death in the nations into the kingdom of heaven comes from being called into the Malkitzedic priesthood of Yahushua and keeping the book of the covenant, Torah commandments, and that outcalling and outwearing of faith. Because faith alone is never ever mentioned for being saved into the kingdom. Saved into eternity, faith alone, yes. But faith into the kingdom, the millennial, is always faith and works. You will never find it, just faith alone gets you into the kingdom here on earth. Which is why we see the works and faith together. Does that make sense? It's living works, yes. There's a distinction between being saved into eternity which does not mean you won't go to the grave first, and being saved from the troubles to come and brought as his priestly remnant into a literal, a literal 1,000-year rule here on earth. And if you mix up and confuse salvation into heaven with salvation into the kingdom, you will never understand the kingdom of heaven which is the problem with mainstream Christianity. They've turned it into this mystical thing out here. It's faith alone, faith alone. Well, the faith alone gospel is going to cost you a heavy price. You will literally sit out the millennium in the grave or 
enslaved in the nations in whips and chains being beaten by your Babylonian masters, the New World Order globalist Illuminati, that will refuse to come up to the feasts and they will be given plagues and their water cut off. Because there's two kinds of righteousness. Philippians 3.9 And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Messiah, the righteousness which is of Yahuwah by faith. So not all righteousness comes from Yahuwah. Here's three theological problems and then we'll close. Number one, the problem that is in mainstream religion is they front load the gospel. Salvation is a free gift. Salvation is a free... They totally front load the gospel. Number two, another problem, is backloading the gospel. Right? Well, if they were truly saved, they wouldn't have done this and... Uh, uh, they wouldn't have done that. There's backload in the gospel. And then the third problem we have, only good things happen after I die. No, not true. The kingdom of heaven will be here on earth. As on earth, as in heaven. So there's your three theological problems. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 says, We are confident, I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Master. Wherefore we labour that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Mashiach that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether to be good or to be bad. So the promise, the promise is given to those who have faith and labour. They are pleasing. They have done the Book of the Covenant Code as Malkitzedic priests. This isn't a blanket statement to faith without work save believers. Is it? No. We need to have a kingdom perspective, a hope of reward, and a fear of punishment. And that's the problem with mainstream religion. It's all about the hope of reward, but no fear of punishment, right? Well, I'm saved. Well, I'm not going to be punished. It's all about the hope of the reward, and the hope of the reward isn't here on this earth. It's mystical. It's out there. No. They're going to be in their speedos on a beach in Hawaii and all of a sudden they're going to be raptured. No. No. This is not truth. This is a fabrication. It's a bit of a word picture for you, wasn't it? Yeah. I meant speedo board shorts. Right, it's not 1982. <laughs> not in England anymore. Crying out loud. But you see, so the big thing is, is saved. Are you saved? You saved? 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 Sa are you sa are you saved? 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 Saved doesn't always mean the eternal state. It has many different usages. Let's have a look at a few of these to close. In the in the Hebrew, we've got yasha. Save, saviour, to deliver. 
We've got Beladar, beside, save, without, not in myself, not at all. We've got Zula, which means to be beside, to save, only, but me alone. We've got Bilte, but, except, save, nothing, least, no, inasmuch, and not so. We've got Chaya, to live, alive, save, quicken, to revive, surely, to recover. We've got Malat, which means to escape, to deliver, to save out of, alone, to get away from, to persevere, speedily. This is not all talking about the eternal state, is it? We've got Shema, to keep, to observe, to heed, keeper, preserve, to beware, to mark, and to be a watchman, and to set a guard. It's not always talking about the eternal state. Even in the Greek, we've got the Greek word sozo, save. But it means to make whole, to heal a person, to be whole. We've got emar, which means to save, except if not, or not true. We've got diasozo, to escape from something, to save, to make perfectly whole and complete, to bring into safety and to heal. In the Greek, we've got philoso, to observe, to be aware, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We've got plan, nevertheless, notwithstanding, save, accept. And then we have soteria, salvation, the one, be saved, deliver, health, saving and to be saved. That was a slew of Hebrew and Greek words. And they were not all limited to the eternal state, were they? But whenever you talk about mainstream religion and are you saved? Saved? It's always about the eternal state with no works attributed to it. No fear of punishment, but always looking to the reward. Oh, give me the treasure, give me the reward. But I have no fear of punishment. It is a shadow of the reality of Yahusha. Well, many will come in my name. Master, master, we did. You see, that's the problem. It's a false Jesus. It's a shadow of the reality of the Malkitzedic, Kohen Haggadah, Yahusha, the Messiah. And 2 Corinthians says this, 1 verse 6, And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is the effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. So that's talking about what? That's talking about save from the power of sin. It's not talking about the eternal state, is it? Let's look at another one. Philippians 1.19 For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Yahushua the Messiah. This is talking again about save from the power of sin. This isn't talking about the eternal state. And how about finally in Philippians 2 verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, 
obeyed. Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is saved from the power of sin. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This isn't talking about the eternal state. So faith in summation. We'll look at part two tomorrow at Shavuot. In summation, faith that produces covenant works saves you from the penalty of exclusion from the millennial kingdom, which is what Camel Knees Yaakov James was telling us in James chapter 1 and James chapter 2. Faith and works a faith that produces works, living works, saves you from the penalty of exclusion from the millennial kingdom. Faith saves you from the penalty of being cast into the lake of fire. That is faith alone. But you will be benched and sit out the kingdom of heaven here on earth. In the grave, or in the nations, being beaten with whips and chains. Believers who are works unworthy, who only have faith at best, could spend the millennium in the nations outside the kingdom, or worse, in death and Hades. It's a very sobering thought, and it is not taught, but the scripture teaches it very clearly. Tomorrow, We'll build this more as we look at the judgment seat of Messiah. But all that to say this, Shavuot is a feast of celebration. Shavuot is the inception point of the Malkitzedic covenant, where faith and works come together in the priestly duties and calling of the anointed Malkitzedek High Priest Yahusha, and that he is preparing us to walk into the millennium. And that's the people that you and I are today, living in the midst of this sick and twisted world. It's an awesome, awesome time to live. It truly is. And as they plundered the Egyptians, we will plunder Elon Musk. And hopefully Jeff Bezos. But I don't believe that there's like this planet Mars that we're going to be. That's another. Yes, 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 yes. George Soros. Questions, comments online. Yes. Thank you. Um, in Isaiah 53, verse 1, it Well, um, there was the Feast of the Jews, which was mentioned several times throughout the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament. So what there was, is there was two different calendars going on at the same time. We had the Feast of the Jews, those who were up in Judea, that were keeping a sunset to sunset day and then there was the feasts of the Galileans which were keeping a dawn to dawn day star 
which is of course what we do. So there was different calendarations, which is why you have the supposed discrepancy in the Master's Passover supper. Or was it a Passover supper? Or wasn't it a Passover supper? Was it like, you know, it's because people don't understand the discrepancy between the two calendars. The Feast of the Jews, which was of course sunset to sunset, which is of course what the synagogue of Satan do nowadays. And of course, the dawn to dawn calendaration and day start, which of course we follow. Okay. So. Can you explain Exodus chapter 4, verses 24 to 26, please? Oh, I don't know. Depends um, in many ways, I'm sure. Is a specific thing that the person is looking for? Exodus chapter 4. Yeah. Oh, all right. There. I got my. Twenty-four. Sorry. Right, yeah, yeah, okay. So we're talking about the circumcision here. Right, yeah. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that Yahuwah met him and sought to kill him, talking about Moshe. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast and um, cast cast it at Moshe's feet and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him go, then said, You are a, a bridegroom of blood or a husband of blood because of the circumcision. So we're talking about Brit Milah. So we're talking about the fact, in, historically, there's a couple of ways to look at this. You've got um, Jethro and Zipporah, of course, they were Arab Bedouins, right? They were Bedouins, so they may have been influencing Moses, who was waiting until his son was 13 years of age and to be circumcised, which, of course, is an Islamic today custom right so they may have been delaying it and therefore judgment came because of that that's one interpretation as was the arab custom seen in genesis 17 verse 25 and therefore judgment came upon moshe for delaying it there's an interpretation there but really i think this is addressed to the child in the Hebrew, because it is chatam damin, means bridegroom of the covenant. So, that's a tough verse to explain. That's the best I can do on the fly. I think I'd have to study it out in all honesty to give you more in-depth meaning. But I think there's quite a lot there when it's dealing with the bridegroom of the covenant and, of course, the Hebrew phrase there, chatim damin. 
but it could be it could be as simple as Moses just delaying and following the Mesopotamian culture and the Arab Bedouin culture of delaying circumcision till the age of 13, which would be a bad deal right there. But anyway, we could maybe address that another time. I could give you a better answer. Okay. Um, in Revelations 21.8 and Revelations 22.15, is this in the New Jerusalem or the 1,000-year reign? Revelation 21.8 and 22.15. Twenty-one eight. Now, this is so. This is now after the thousand-year rule and reign, coming into the eternal state. No, especially not the book of Enoch. Which book of Enoch? First, second, third, fourth. You can never pin down Enoch. You can't put, you know, that's the thing. You can't pin down Enoch. You can't pin down Jubilees. You just can't pin them down. People that advocate those books, they'll always be very selective in what they do advocate. But you can, they will never, you cannot take the whole of the reading and attribute it to faith. It is cherry picking the, all the way. So Enoch, which one, who knows, you can't pin him down. Jubilees, you can't pin it down. It's just selective cherry picking. Do not advocate. Book of Yasha is a fabulous book to read alongside Genesis and Exodus as commentary. And if it doesn't violate scripture, you will get some historical insight. So I love the book of Yasha. I'm not going to get my doctrine from it, but is it going to give me historical insight to the narrative of Genesis and Exodus? Yes. Stick with Yasha and I would knock out Enoch and Jubilee specifically because those are being really pushed by the synagogue of Satan right now. And many people are falling under that sway. Okay, so I'm tracking with you with most of it, but I still have lost a whole subsection. I've got the bride, the wedding guests, and then you've got those that don't make it into the kingdom. I mean, okay? So the bride is Melchizedek. Who's the wedding guest? Who, who are the wedding guests? And do we know where the line is drawn that separates the bride from the wedding guests in Scripture? Good question. Good question. Who is, we've identified the bride. Who are the guests? The least. The least. The least in the kingdom. What about the books of Adam and Eve? What about the books of Adam and Eve? Again, kind of, um, you can't get your doctrine. There's some, some, it's pretty mystical. It's pretty mystical. I mean, there, there, really, there really is. Uh, I, there's so much. This is what blows my mind. I, I could barely give you a, a really a proper answer on the question that we just got online about the um, circumcision and the text in Exodus, right? 
I mean, I'm like, I, I, that wasn't off the cuff for me. I'm like, ah. Uh, and I love the word. And I spend all my time that I can in it. And now I'm going to go read all this other stuff that isn't inspired. You can barely, barely make sense, not, not you, but the people that are advocating all this, they're actually not that literate in this before they're going off over here, which is why they're going off over there, because they're not spending the time here. The answers are all in Yahweh's inspired word. You can't go cherry-picking off other books when you haven't even immersed yourself enough and our whole life immersed into the Holy Word of Yahuwah still won't be enough. So yeah, I'll read, if I'm going through Genesis and Exodus, I will read through, and I have read it several times, the book of Yasha. But I'm not going to like start to, to build my doctrine from Yasha. And the big thing is with Jubilees and Enoch, people are literally trying to build these calendars out of it, yet they're not, it doesn't match with the Word of Yahuwah and then doesn't match with the days of Noah, and it doesn't match with the prophecies in Revelation, where you've got these 30-day months, 360-day year, and uh, everything is div divisible by that. It's this whole synagogue of Satan um, influx, because if I can get you into a book that you don't fully comprehend, then you're not here, and then I can make you a slave of me. And then you follow my doctrine and my dogma and we've got our own little clique and I'm the head of your Nicolaitan club. It's a bunch of wicked as hell stuff. I see right through it. People are making disciples after themselves and they're using Jubilees and Enoch to do it. It's just so obvious and it's sad. But it, it's, you know, there's enough here for us to do. And I've read Enoch and I've read Jubilees. Because I've get, had to give it, you know, the once through. Several times, in fact, just because of the position I'm in. But I would never get doctrine out of it. And then you can see the inconsistencies and it goes against the Torah. But they won't tell you those verses, of course, that fly in the face of the Bible. Which is why, you know, whether you disagree or agree with the church fathers, which is why it's not in the canon, right? Because it's not consistent with the rest of the 66 books in the Bible. It's not consistent, which is why it's excluded. Even Maccabees, you know, there's so many inconsistencies historically there because it's a bunch of Jewish hierarchy that got into the text. A lot of Jewish nationalism, which of course the Ashkenazi now used to lord over the Gentiles. I think we've heard of that verse. Anyway, any other questions? That's it, yeah. We can take that, we can take that question or another one off, off, offline maybe. Huh? Okay, all right. So Baruch Hashem Yahuwah, we will be live tomorrow at what time? 10.30. At 10.30 in the morning, catch us live and thank all of our donors online that support the ministry and you here too. Blessings, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Amen. Amen. <laughs>